What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer, Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. And it is another edition of Mailbag Monday, a weekly segment where I solicit questions, you send them in, and I answer your listener questions all episode long. If you want to be involved in Mailbag Monday, it's easy to do. Just whenever you're thinking of a Blazer question, tweet it at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Or watch the skies on Monday morning when I put a call out morning Pacific time for questions on Twitter. That's how it works. If you want to get involved, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Let's get it started. This first question comes from Bruce Clues, at Bruce underscore Clues on Twitter, who asks... Now that Rodney Hood is done, what kind of trades will they be targeting? What do you think about less splashy names like Iguodala, Justice Winslow, or Nemanja Bielitsa? Okay, let's let me start by debunking this question in my best version of Terry Stotts. Uh, I don't think Andre Iguodala is a less splashy name. In fact, I would argue Andre Iguodala is the biggest splash available on the market. He's not a particularly good regular season player at this stage in his career, but he is an elite player for the 16-game playoff cycle. And I think he ends up on one of the L.A. teams because he's going to go play for a contender. And while the Blazers may have fancied themselves a contender a few months ago, that's not what they are now. Now they are a, a bad team. Justice Winslow. Really love Justice Winslow. I think he's a really good player even despite his choice to attend Duke University, but he's a really talented player. No doubt about it. A forward who a forward who can play both three and four, can play a little point guard when you need him. Uh, he's tough. He's creative with the ball. He's, he's really talented. I don't know if the Blazers have the right contracts to make that work because Miami is likely in a win-now mode. Like, they're a team that could make the finals in the East the way this season has gone. So they would be wanting an upgrade. And so I think to make... A trade involving Justice Winslow and the Blazers would likely feature C.J. McCollum, and I can't see that happening. Now, Nemanja Bilica? Now we're talking less splashy names, Bruce Clues. We finally got to one that I will agree with you. Lacks splash. Uh, I like Bilica for the Blazers. Not a particularly good defensive player, but a big person, a true power forward who can shoot it. I think he would really help open up the offense. He's certainly better than Anthony Tolliver or Mario Hazonia playing that spot. Arguably better than Carmelo Anthony, although without the uh, resume. Without getting too deep into that, and I'll do that in a, a, a podcast later this week, uh, I think Belitsa is, is a good idea. I th- I, that's a name that I could agree with. Um, and to answer your first part of your question, what tr- kinds of trades they'll do, I think they're going to try to make some... I think they might tr- attempt to swing big, and I can see them otherwise making a marginal upgrade that doesn't get rid of any of their long-term plans. We kind of know who they're going to stick with. The starting five they opened the year with is the starting five they want to come back next year. So as long as they don't get rid of any of those guys and don't get rid of Anthony Simons, I can see the Blazers making trades to upgrade themselves at the margins. Okay, this next question comes from John Ryan McMahon, at John R. McMahon on Twitter, who asks... Potential Amari Stoudemire and Carmelo Anthony reunion with three excited question marks. Listen, I know that Mark Stein of the New York Times tweeted that Amari Stoudemire came back from China to move back to his home state of Florida and start working out and pursue 
an NBA comeback. But I will say this, he's 37 years old. He hasn't played in the NBA since the 2015-16 season. That's a long time. I don't think he's a solution for the Blazers by any means, but if we're just talking about a fun thing that could happen, yeah, hell yeah, bring bring Amari Stoudemire back. How incredibly entertaining would that be? Sure, he'd love a chance. Can't see it happening, but um, just in, for pure entertainment purposes, yeah, let's do it. All right, this next question comes from Austin Tyler, at AustinNew21 on Twitter, who asks... In terms of trade value for Kevin Love, we know the core five are out of trade talk, according to Olshay, but who would you consider are among the players that could be moved realistically? So Austin is uh, referencing something that I brought up on a previous podcast and I mentioned in the first question in this segment. Neil Olshay told Jason Quick of The Athletic that next year the Blazers were going to come back with Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Rodney Hood, Zach Collins, and Yusuf Nurkic as their starting five. And he said that the Blazers were going to be disciplined because they weren't going to make a move that, that jeopardized that plan. So if you rule them off the table... Who would you consider the players that can move realistically for love? Well, first of all, they got a match salary. So it's either going to be Hassan Whiteside or Kent Bazemore. And I don't think Kent Bazemore quite gets you there. So it's it's pretty much got to be Hassan Whiteside is part of the deal to begin with. And then you're talking about throwing in filler. So what kind of filler could the Cavaliers want? They have a bunch of young guard types on the team, but I don't know if that would prevent them from taking a flyer on a guy like Gary Trent Jr., I think Nazir Little could conceivably be included as sweetener. Although I believe Neil Olshay is always very reluctant to give up his own first-round draft picks, particularly early in their tenure with the team. I think Little is the is the type of player on this roster that you would have to consider giving up. So Trent Jr. and Little. I don't think teams want a bunch of the other players on the Blazers roster. Hazonia doesn't do anyone any good. Uh, Anthony Tolliver would work as minimum filler, but you don't need that. Scalabi Sierra just isn't I I can't imagine coveted at this at this stage in his career uh, and and what he brings to the table. So I think it's Whiteside, Gary Trent Jr. and Little. You could throw Bazemore in there to even take on more money if the Blazers wanted to try to lure Tristan Thompson away or something like that. But those are the players who realistically could be traded. It kind of maybe illustrates how the Blazers could potentially, if they're going to be as disciplined as they say, have trouble making a huge move because they just don't have a ton of things to offer. Okay, next question comes from Jake Smith, at JakeSme19 on Twitter, who asks, who would be the best option to fill in for Rodney Hood? Do we go big with Fareed or even Amari Stoudemire or 3 and D with Amon Shumpert? Uh, I don't think you replace Rodney Hood's minutes with a undersized center like Kenneth Fareed. I don't think Amari Stoudemire really soaks up what he does. The Blazers haven't played Carmelo Anthony a single minute at the three. I can't imagine that they try that. So I think you need to do it with a wing. Amon Shumpert, who was recently waived by the Nets, uh, reportedly reluctantly, if you're willing to believe what his agent told several reporters, um, I, he, he played in the NBA and played on a team that is relatively competitive in the East like a 500-level team in the East, that's better than the Blazers are right now. I think Shump could help. I think Shump is someone worth targeting, worth considering. Uh, and if he's interested in joining a team where he could have a real role off the bench, because I believe if he was on the team, he'd, he could immediately be their best wing off the bench, then yeah, Amon Shumpert is uh, is worth chasing down. 
And now, dear listeners, I want to give you a quick mea culpa. Last week on the mailbags, someone asked me about the hardship exception and the disabled player exception. And I conflated the two when explaining them. The hardship exception is when teams have four players who are sick or injured and have missed at least three regular season games and continue to be unable to play. The Blazers don't qualify for that one, but I was confused about the way the disabled player exception works and I explained it incorrectly. And since then, the Blazers have applied for disabled player exception. They are able to use it with Rodney, with Rodney Hood being out for conceivably until June would be what, what the what the uh, threshold is for them be- becoming eligible for that exception. And basically what it does is allows them to play, to pay a player a portion, half of Rodney Hood's salary. Is it, So w- how it works for the Blazers and how it helps them out is that they would have something that's larger than a minimum contract to claim a player. Uh, I think this could happen if they wanted to sign a minimum level free agent, but I think where it will really come into play is during the in the buyout market in the spring. If one sort of low-level veteran is choosing between two teams. The Blazers have more money to offer him to the end of the year. That could entice him. Apologize for explaining that wrong. Got a little confused reading the uh, CBA. It happens. But I appreciate you guys giving me a chance to make it up. Because you're still listening. All right, second segment. We're coming back. More questions. But before we get there, I want to tell you guys all about Casper. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. And you can get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash LockedNBA, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-N-B-A, and using LockedNBA, L-O-C-K-E-D-N-B-A at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. And if you can't visit Casper right now, you can find all this and other offers from all the Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. All right, keep it rolling with more Monday mailbag questions. This next one comes from Jason Reyes at Jason underscore Reyes underscore on Twitter, who asks, is Yusuf the double beast Nurkic jacking up threes consistently when he returns? Some context here to Jason's question is that Yusuf Nurkic was seen going through a full workout in Phoenix. He traveled with the Blazers on this trip that they're currently on. And on Sunday, when they opened the doors to media, there was Yusuf Nurkic going through a full-on one-on-one workout with a couple of the Blazers assistants and their director of player health and performance, keeping a close eye. But it was a basketball workout. He was sweating. He was getting shots up. This was a guy who looked... Uh, maybe further along than a lot of people thought. I haven't seen Yusuf play basketball, but I have seen him a couple times in the back during Blazer home games. Super sweaty. The dude works out. The dude, I don't think this is the first time he's hit the court. But it is the first time that he's done it publicly. And then he spoke to the media. And during that media session, he said he's going to come back even better the double beast. Which is uh, admittedly an incredibly stupid nickname and could use some branding help, but hey, that's not the problem. But to answer your question, Jason, I hope Yusuf Nurkic doesn't jack up threes consistently when he returns. Here's the problem with every big man shooting threes. I think it's a real weapon for, obviously, bigs to shoot threes. It's a thing that... um, Plenty of tall people do in the league. It's not uncommon. In fact, Robin Lopez, former Blazer center, shoots threes like a madman, now with the Milwaukee Bucks. But if Yusuf Nurkic shoots threes, it means that he isn't around the rim to rebound. 
and means that he isn't rolling into the paint to causing that spacing rolling towards the rim and drawing that gravity. I think you have him around the three-point line shooting threes. You take away a lot of the value he brings to the Blazers. So maybe while it's fun that he has better, he'll have improved shooting touch, I think jacking threes is a little too far. And as another addition, remember last season when it was this whole thing about how Yusuf Nurkic was going to shoot threes and he jacked a bunch of threes in the preseason and then when the game started, he didn't shoot threes? Don't get caught up. Just because he's able to doesn't mean he will or he should. Okay, this next question comes from Neil Olshay's burner at Peyton PDX who asks, what does an NBA podcaster, journalist, blogger, etc. do when the team is off for three or four nights? Related, how do you try to keep it fresh when the narrative is getting stale? Uh, okay, so just to keep it 100% honest and upfront with you guys, I am not really an NBA podcaster, journalist, or blogger. I am someone who writes for a website and has this podcast that comes out multiple times a week, but I have a day job that pays my bills and keeps my family with food on the table and lights on in our home. So uh, I used to do NBA media full-time for the Oregonian, but I was laid off in January of 2018. Now I do other stuff. But I still do this stuff on the side. So what do I do during three when the team has three or four nights off? I go to work during the day. <laughs> just, uh, just like normal. But I, I think your second question is pretty interesting. How do you keep it fresh when the narrative is getting stale? Uh, I think that is the real challenge of covering a team on the beat, is how not to write the same thing 10,000 times, how not to to sort of get bogged down in the Blazers bench is bad, Hassan Whiteside puts up good numbers, but the defense still struggles, uh, Damon CJ need more help, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the, the, the trick to... The narrative is kind of what it is. Like, you would... The media has a real role in setting the narrative, but also just how the games go as, as there's that stuff's out of your control. But how you kind of keep stuff from getting stale when you're around the team and writing about them every day is you just look for stories either off the court or off the beaten path. Uh, last year, I wrote about how Terry Stotts calls plays with an iPad. I wrote another story about how he lets an assistant coach call the first play of every game. Uh, you And those, you know, those stories are outside of the narrative. They don't, it doesn't matter what happens in the basketball court. So you kind of got to just uh, look for things that maybe aren't tied up in wins and losses because when things start spiraling, spiraling, it's pretty easy to write the same story a hundred times in a row. Okay, next question comes from HR at I'm going to say ArcherFX, HRFX on Twitter. Uh, I might be butchering that. I apologize. But the question is, is there a goal for Yusuf's return that you know of? And I'm going to the game on Friday versus the Magic, which is 80s night. Should I dress up? Yeah, you should dress up. You should dress up. Uh, the team really has played in deep to these uh 80s nights or the decade nights, at least with 70s night, they were all in. The coaches wore fun outfits. There was a lot of 70s thing, 70s theme things in the arena that night. So yeah, dress up. It'll be fun. Uh, you know, wear your Michael Thompson jersey. Uh, goal for Yusuf Nurkic to return. I have heard that Yusuf Nurkic could be back both at the All-Star break and before the All-Star break. Uh that lines up with what the team said publicly, which is they're hoping for February. It's just when in February and depends on who I've tried to ask. 
what their level of um, confidence is. No one's going to say anything publicly. No one's going to say anything definitively. But I think there is some hope that maybe he could be back in the earlier part of February as opposed to the later part of February. For what it's worth, the All-Star break is basically Valentine's Day. So that's right in the middle. Next question comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus who asks, Much has been said about the Blazers' ability to take a failing player and turn them around. But for every Nurk, there is also a Hazonia. With his high stats and the team's lousy record, which side is Whiteside falling on? This is a real uh, Rorschach's test, isn't it, Reverend? This is, to me, where Whiteside falls is kind of your perception of him. Is, Is he this sort of dominant player? Not even dominant player. Is he this good player kind of screwed by the Blazers' bad supporting cast? and his bad reputation, or is all the stuff maybe that his reputation told you about him before he got here turned out to be true? I tend to think he lands towards the sort of non-redemption story, um, just because the Blazers' record is what it is, their defense is what it is. Like, if they were a average defense... You would be able. I'd be able to point more positively to Hassan Whiteside. But here's what I really think about Hassan, and I've been hard on him on this podcast, and I'll probably will continue to be hard on him because that's the kind of guy I am. But I think Hassan Whiteside has proved definitively over the team's first 26, 27 games is that he is not part of the problem, but also not part of the solution. He's the best center on the roster. It's not close. He's so much better than Scalabissier. It's just. Um, it's not even a it's not even a conversation. The Blazers don't have a lineup. There's no lineup that you could take Whiteside out of and say, well, maybe they're a little better if they go with this look. Like he's just he's just their best option up front by a wide margin. But they've struggled. Their defense is in the twenties. He's had nights, particularly early in the season, where his effort waned a little bit. Now, he's been he's been a lot better over the last two weeks. I think he's settled into where he can score on offense. Uh, I think he's has less moments where he just has lulls with his, with his sort of effort and execution, his concentration. But to me, he's not a player that they resurrected and saved. He's a guy who's playing right at about the level that he was last season maybe a little bit better he just says what he is okay this next question comes from logan gillis whose name i finally pronounced right after literally three years so don't say that i can't improve just give me a long timeline logan's question with patty c that is patrick bergen Connaughton and jake layman gone who's the best dunker on the current roster and you can't say hassan is Hassan a good dunker? He's definitely good at dunking, but is he a good dunker? You know, don't you, do you understand that distinction? I'm saying he's very good at dunking. He dunks all the time, but he's not like a flashy or fun dunker. Uh, and because the Blazers are terrible at throwing lobs, we don't even get to see him dunk on alley-oops that excitingly. Uh, the best dunker on the team is Amphrey Simons. It's not particularly close. Uh, Damian Lord has been in a dunk contest, so there's that. Uh, CJ McCollum dunks about between 10 and 15 times a year. Carmelo Anthony, not a lot of stees. Bazemore, not a lot of stees. Gary Trent, not sure he's dunked in an NBA game, but maybe he has. 
Hazonia, not sure he can't, or Hazonia could dunk, excuse me, but uh, Anthony Tolliver, not sure he could dunk in an NBA game, but well, maybe, maybe, consider, you know, right situation. So yeah, it's Anthony Simons by a lot. He had a dunk last year during a practice where he jumped mm, 12 and a half feet in the air, like really, really, really got up there. All right, we're going to come back in the third segment, close out the show answering all of your questions. All right, still Mike Richmond, still Lockdown Blazer, still the Pastors Point Guard, and still Mailbag Monday. We're going to close out the show with more of your questions, like we do every week at this time. This next one comes from Jonathan at Sass on Twitter, who asks, What prevents a player like CJ McCollum from being able to draw fouls when he drives? Does he just naturally avoid contact? He mentioned his brother is better at it. How does a player like him improve on that? Uh, it's tough for CJ at this stage in his career to maybe improve on that. Um, his his sort of skill set, what's like in his arsenal, are a lot of uh, floaters. His layup packages are kind of like swoop, swooping, looping layups to get around guys. It's a skill set developed by someone who was smaller. And while he's athletic in terms of side-to-side quickness and getting free from people, he's not an explosive leaper necessarily. He's really good at getting space, but he's not, inc- he doesn't, look to finish over the top and over through people. So I think most of CJ McCollum's is just sort of like what's in his bag, what's in his, what, what kind of shots he has at his development. I will say this, I think, so, so to answer your question, yeah, I think it's mostly he just naturally avoids contact because that's, those are his moves. Um, how does he improve like that? I would say one annoying thing CJ could do um, would be the sort of Chris Paul rip through, uh, noticing when teams are in the bonus and trying to draw cheap free throws. He's a really good free throw shooter. Getting to the line a few more times a game or basically free points. He shoots 90% from the line. So yeah, just he should add more um, cheap garbage to his game because it's in the rule book and sometimes you got to ugly it up to win. So next question comes from Scorezag Score Podcast at Scorezag Score on Twitter who asks... Are the Blazers making the right move by committing to Zach Collins as a power forward? You know, I've said on this podcast a lot, a lot of times that Zach Collins is a center. And I believe that. I think he's a five in the league on almost any other team. But I also think this. The Blazers' future depends a lot on whether Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic can play next to each other. They basically didn't do it last season. Uh... Less than 5% of Zach's minutes came next to Yusuf Nurkic. They just, the Blazers just avoided it. Just the way the, the rotations uh, shook out, the addition of Enes Cantor, all those things. That they just avoided that pairing. This was supposed to be the year that maybe at the end of the season, the Blazers tried out that pairing. And we would finally get maybe 20 games, 15 games of data to, to see whether that group looks together, not just data feel. Those guys got to learn learn to play alongside one another. So while I do think Zach Collins is a center sort of by name, the Blazers' core, this group of the Blazers, can only succeed if he can play some power forward next to Yusuf Nurkic. So while it might not be the right move holistically, it's the right move for this group. Okay, the next question comes from Blazers Tag Podcast at BlazerTagPDX on Twitter, who asks, what's the best or worst argument slash disagreement you've ever gotten into with a fan about their disillusioned opinion during your time as a media member? This is a this is a dicey question, Blazers Tag. Y'all are trying to get me to stir up old beefs. As they say, why are you talking about old stuff? 
usually stuff is replaced with a different word. But um, the thing that comes to mind with this question is mostly when I would say that Al Farouk Aminu and Mo Harkless were the Blazers' best options at forward for the last three seasons. Uh, fans would come out the woodworks to tell me that they can't shoot and are bad. Uh, those flames were kind of stoked by some of my uh, colleagues or peers or whatever in the Blazers media world t- being convinced that uh, Al Farouk Aminu and Mo Harkless were the problem. Uh, I will point to this season's record as Exhibit A, maybe suggesting that they weren't necessarily the problem. Uh, but the biggest thing from a fa- like from a fan specifically that I can remember is my first season on the beat. Uh, I wrote about how Terry Stoss had like, transformed the Blazers' defense. Uh, it was Robin Lopez's first year with the team, and he had kind of uh, adopted this this drop defensive system, the same defensive style they run now, and they had transformed from like a bottom. 10 in the league to they were like fifth in the league in in defensive rating and I wrote this long feature about Stotts changing it uh, or Stotts changing his style the addition of Robin Lopez when the Blazers had kind of adopted it how long they'd been working on it how it fit Damon LaMarcus Aldridge it was like the longest thing I wrote in my first year on the beat uh, most well-reported thing I wrote in my first year on the beat I was very proud of it and my editor at the time at the Oregonian slapped one of those headlines on it that gets people to click on it because that is the nature of the business. And it said something like the Blazers, Terry Stotts has built the Blazers into an elite defense. I wanted to write something about transformation. That was my proposed headline was transformed and growth or or like sort of like the, the idea that it was like more of a, a change, but they went with elite elite defense and people came out the woodworks to tell me that the Blazers were not good on defense and they actually sucked and I did not know what I was watching and all those things uh they finished with the sixth best defensive rating in the league so hey whatever it happens next question another one from Jonathan still at Sass on Twitter who asks when is tanking ever the right thing to do unless it's at the very end of the season you're trying to prove your draft draft position a bit would a mid-lottery pick dramatically change the Blazers' 2020-2021 success anyway? Yeah, th- I think that's the big question. Would the ninth pick in the draft greatly improve the Blazers' chances for next season as opposed to the 16th pick in the draft? In general, star players come in the top 10. That's just a general general rule. I think Kevin Pelton has done, of ESPN has done some studies about it, where there actually is some, like, where the best players, franchise-changing players, almost always are drafted in the top five because consensus scouting usually gets these things right in general, sort of in, over the long term, and that, and that long-term starters and they're in the top ten, and beyond that, it gets much harder to get things right. So I do think there would be some value in the Blazers getting one of those top ten picks because that would... That would, you know, there's a chance that they would get a player that would be an impact player. But the difference in, say, 8 and 16 or 7 and 17, uh, it, it would, it probably matters a little bit. Probably matters a little bit to their success in general. Uh, you got to get the picks right regardless of where you pick. But to answer the first part of your question, when is tanking ever the right thing to do? Here's when I think tanking capital T is the right thing to do. It is when you have good young players who are not necessarily ready to contribute to winning right away. Uh, That way you can just play guys and play them through mistakes and let them play 35 minutes a night and screw up. It's also a good option when you have star players 
who are injured for a long period of time. The Warriors should tank because the Warriors getting a very high level draft pick and then returning Clay Thompson and Steph Curry and Draymond Green to a roster with a high draft pick is is much more valuable than them chasing. I mean, they're not they're really bad, so they're not going to get a playoff seed now, but they're a team that should tank because of the way it has um the way it has sort of played out for them. But the Blazers, they, the Blazers are just in a weird spot, like to do the capital T tanking thing, like to, and by that, I mean, it would be like play Anthony Simons and Gary Trent 25 minutes. They just, they aren't developing these young guys for these massive starter type roles. I mean, maybe you could argue they should be developing Anthony Simons for that. So they could get off of CJ McCollum's money or something, but they're trying to build a championship core with two guys who are older than 27. So it just doesn't make sense for them to do it. And they're not very good. Um, Their late win against the Suns aside tonight, uh, they'll naturally lose a bunch of games just by virtue of having a bad roster. So they can make that decision on whether to tank, like you said, Jonathan, at the very end of the year. Uh, But you need a specific type of roster, either the, the young young players that just you give them a full developmental year and you never bring in vets to kind of help out or a team that has vets that get super injured a la the Duncan pre-Duncan Spurs or this year's Warriors okay last question of the show and I saved maybe not the best for last but certainly the most thematically correct for last both teams pod at both teams pod on Twitter asks I think it's both teams pod hard if you guys want to listen to that podcast uh at both teams pod on Twitter asks, what's the best reason to watch the Blazers right now? And I think that's kind of the crux of this podcast. Why would we watch this team? They are disappointing. But here's why you watch them. One, if you listen to this podcast, you're probably a fan of the team. You're Listen, if you follow, I, I've joked about this with my friends. I say anyone that follows me and the content I put out must really like the team. So you really like the team. That's step one, why you should follow them. The other reason why you should follow them is because it's December 16th. At least as I'm hitting record, it might be December 17th or later by the time you get around to listening to this, but we got a long way to go. The Blazers season is more of a quarter of a way through, but the the seventh or eighth seed in the playoffs aren't that far out of reach. The Blazers still have a very good chance of being a playoff team. They probably don't have a very good chance of winning a playoff series, but if you were someone who believed that Yusuf Nurkic was going to come back and save the season and push them into the championship tier, how have you talked yourself out of that by now? Obviously, the other injuries changed things. Rodney Hood isn't coming back. It seems like a long shot that Zach Collins is going to come back during the regular season. But if you were someone who thought that Yusuf Nurkic was going to come and propel this team into the upper echelon, into the top tier in the West. How can you talk yourself out of, if Yusuf Nurkic comes back, they have zero chance of beating any team? I think there's a way that things shake out where the Blazers don't play one of the LA teams in the first round. Yusuf Nurkic is healthy, and they have hope. Maybe not a good chance, but hope. So the reason to keep watching is because the season ain't over yet, the Blazers have things to play for, and the guy, one of the guys on their roster is arguably the best player in the history of the franchise. That's right, I'm talking about Mario Hazonia. That's going to do it for this episode. As always, I am so appreciative to all who submitted questions. And if you want to get in on this game, you can. Just shoot me a question at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. 
You can do that whenever you're thinking of a Blazers or NBA type question, or you can wait for Monday mornings when I put out a tweet soliciting questions. Just respond to that tweet. I'll answer them here. If you get a question in before I hit record, heck, if you get a question in before I start recording the third segment, it's making it on the show. That's that's my window. First two segments, still check my Twitter feed. You get it in there. I'll get it on the show. Got a nearly 100% success rate, and if I don't get it this week, I'll try to do it the very next. So at Mike G. Rich on Twitter to get involved. Also, do me a favor. Tell your friends about this podcast. If you enjoy it, chances are your Blazer-loving friends will too. They can find it wherever they already get podcasts. Google, Apple, Stitcher, and Spotify. I really appreciate you listening. I'll talk to you soon.